0: Primary Care Knowledge Boost, Workforce and Retention Issues in General Practice.
1: Hello and welcome to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Today we're speaking to Dr Nakash Valab and Dr Richard Bircher all about workforce and retention issues in general practice. Um, they're coming at it from their stance as Both of them have got different workforce hats and are partners in GP practices in
0: Greater Manchester. So that's their kind of slant to where they're coming from. Yeah, exactly. They kind of do um, set the scene quite well as to why it is an issue at the moment across primary care, health and social care and uh, set out where the challenges lie. Um, but then they also do provide some, some thoughts and some consideration about where primary care can go to try and address these issues. Um, and then perhaps some more quicker fixes that people out there working in general practice could um, consider... Sooner, um, in order to to think about their workforce, um, and how to um, make sure that they have enough staff to serve the population.
1: Yeah, this is definitely one that be useful. The resources link, um, the resources list at the end of the episode, should provide loads of different places to go because the idea is for this to be quite solutions orientated. So, um, check any of those out and enjoy the episode.
2: So my name is Nikesh Valab. I'm a GP partner at Hawkleybrook Medical Practice in Wigan, and I qualified as a GP in 2015. And I've always had a really keen interest in workforce. Um, so got involved in designing local GP workforce fellowships in Wigan to retain GPs. Um, and then in 2019, I started work as a clinical director for our primary care network, which is SWAM PCN in Wigan. And continue to do a lot of stuff around workforce as a clinical lead with RCCG. And then from 2022, I've started as a workforce primary care clinical lead for Greater Manchester. So looking around workforce challenges, recruitment, retention, but across primary care. So that would be general practice, um, optometry, community pharmacy, and dentistry. So sharing a lot of the challenges of workforce across all of those disciplines, really. And I'm Richard Bircher.
3: I'm a GP in Staley Bridge, been the GP there for 25 years now, done quarter of a century. Uh, and in, in effect, I'm a bit of a, a mini Nikesh. Um, <laughs> um, I am the clinical workforce lead for one area, which is Tameside. Um, it's now an ICB, uh, Integrated Care Board role. And I've been involved with lots of things over the last couple of years. So, from um, encouraging practices to train, Going to local colleges, speaking to people interested in careers in primary care, um, having careers fairs, lots of things. I love the job. You meet such interesting people. And um, workforce is a, a big challenge at the moment.
0: Um, so today we are talking about general practice recruitment and workforce, um, which are both primed to talk about. Now, it's probably up top a little bit of a dry topic to people who've decided to um, join us and listen. Um, so what is your pitch for why we should talk about it today? Why should people keep on listening to this episode?
2: So we, I, I, th- I think we really were keen on doing this episode because workforce is a real challenge across general practice. It's a, It's a real challenge across health and social care. And we wanted to just highlight, as well as some of the challenges that are out there, what are some of the solutions that we can maybe share to help people who are finding being in general practice quite difficult? And there are some opportunities out there that may make that role more enjoyable. We're going to give probably a bit of an overview of what the current landscape is. But I don't know, Richard, if you wanted to feedback a bit from your point. Well,
3: you've probably heard about the NHS long term workforce plan that came out a couple of months ago. It's it's the long term workforce plan. Um, currently, there are over a hundred thousand vacancies in the NHS, and the workforce plan states that if we do nothing about that over the next ten years, it's going to be a quarter of a million people. would be the workforce be short of a quarter million people. So it's a really big issue, and the workforce plan um, signposts a way out of this with um, I think it's about one point five billion extra pounds worth of money um, over the next five to ten years. And um, there's a role within general practice to, to play a big role within that workforce plan to try and recruit and retain people within primary care.
1: That's a huge deficit of people over there. Over the long term, is that of all primary care in general?
3: It is, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we feel it now, don't we? Yeah, we really feel it. I mean, I mean, I think every single practice that I know about has had problems either recruiting a nurse or an AMP as a advanced nurse practitioner, um, um, a healthcare assistant, or manager, or even receptionists. I mean, there there is there's deficits all over the place.
2: Yeah, I was just going to add. I mean, when we look at that across GPs across England to see what has changed, maybe over the last eight years. When we look at the NHS England data comparing September 2015 to June 2023, so quite recently, we know that there are similar numbers of GPs, so around 36,000 in 2015 and 36,400 today. But the real change from then is the full-time equivalent, so the number of equivalent people working full-time, are probably 2,000 less today. Than they were in 2015. So, a lot more people choose to kind of work less than full time. What we also see with GP numbers is there are 6,000 less partners than there were in 2015, with more GPs choosing to take up salary positions. What we don't see, probably compared to what people feel, is there aren't many more people who regularly locum today than there were eight years ago. And in fact, there was probably a drop around the COVID pandemic. But One of the increases that we have seen is where we had roughly around 5,000 GP trainees in 2015, that's now increased quite substantially to around 9,000 GP trainees. So there's been a real push to try and increase the number of doctors coming through. But there's clearly a, quite a time lag with increasing training and the number of trainees to seeing that within practice. The, the time lag's very interesting as well, because about a third
3: of the GP workforce uh, are aged between 45 and 55. A third of them are aged between 35 and 45. So you'd expect the last third to be aged 25 to 35, but it's not. There's only a, there's half of them, there's about 13, 14%. Mm. So actually, we're weighted quite heavily towards an older workforce as GPs, right. and I and I believe um, practice nursing nationally is even more dire. So, so there are many many practice nurses who are facing retirement, and that we're not getting the throughput to replace them. Right. Hence, the need for brand new roles within the NHS and in primary care.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that sets out the landscape fairly well, actually. Um, but any any other points about setting the scene for? where we're up to at the moment in in england with workforce retention issues
3: um i i I think we definitely to bring in the idea of workload going up i mean we're a victim of a success in primary care um we've offered for the last 75 years of the nhs a fantastic service to people and um the level of multiple ability is going up um so so we are looking after people with much more complicated needs and 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 also from 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 my perspective as well, there's a there's a currently there's an enormous challenge on many many people being on waiting lists. These are people who would have had their hips replaced, their heart valves done, or something, and they're they're starting to deteriorate within primary care, and 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 they're turning to us to kind of support them while those waiting lists are brought down. And unfortunately, some of the times those waiting lists aren't being brought down particularly quickly at the moment.
2: Yeah, I think I think that's a really good point. Um, we did a survey in Greater Manchester where we've asked all GPs in Greater Manchester around what their views are around retention, staying in general practice, what are the biggest challenges that they face. And when we did that survey this year, we got over around 400 GPs who responded, so a really good breadth of responses. And some of the biggest challenges that people shared were around workloads. So a real increase in volumes of work, and that's kind of reflective of the pressures within the wider system. But we end up picking a lot of that up in general practice where there are pressures in in the wider system. And that then also brings a lot of administrative work alongside. So that has to be picked up as well as seeing patients and dealing with those complex problems. And ultimately what this tends to do is create a lot of time pressures in practice. So you have less time for the stuff that we enjoy, which is that personal development, building those relationships with patients or developing your portfolio as a GP for different roles that you might want to do. And I think when you reflect on demand within general practice, we do see more patients on a day-to-day basis, year on year. So on an average day in the NHS, 1.2 million people will have a GP appointment. 1.2 which, million, isn't Yeah, we, it, wow. it, it always That'll amazes me, that number. <laughs> It's, <laughs> it's it, crazy. It, it Then also, when you put into context that the population is ageing, people have more chronic conditions, more complex care needs, those shorter appointments don't really allow you the, the time to deal with those problems effectively, especially when the demand is so high. Yeah. And I think that was fed back quite strongly alongside a feeling of, or an increased feeling of of not feeling valued mm-hmm. as a GP with the role that we do not necessarily from patients or, or public perception, but also with things like the media coverage around general practice uh, and, and that, that constant criticism, I think, r- really does impact on morale within general practice.
3: I just about to say, um, I, I I know you did a big survey of over 400 GPs. Um, I personally interviewed all the GPs in my patch in Tameside who are aged over 55 to talk about their future plans and and there was actually quite a little bit of positivity there um out of those 17 GPs which I interviewed only one of them was determined to end work before age 60 and all the others um saw themselves as being incredibly useful and wanted to carry on that the two things they really valued about themselves was um they knew they were brilliant at handling complexity and wanted to continue doing that, weren't too happy to continue doing administrative roles or um, checking results or dealing with letters, but certainly the face-to-face stuff they absolutely delighted in. And the other thing was wanting to leave a legacy, and that legacy being practices in a good shape for the future, or moving into some sort of training, education, mentorship to hold the workforce together. So I I, I went into that bit of research expecting a lot of negativity and came away with quite a positive view of, People my age, actually, I'm, I've just turned 55. Yeah.
2: And I think that reflects really strongly. You know, when we, when we did talk to GPs and we got those responses, is when we did ask, what do you enjoy about the job? One of the strongest and most consistent bits of feedback was seeing patients. You know, we, we really do, as GPs, enjoy seeing patients, building those relationships, seeing people over multiple generations, often within the same communities and families, And that continuity of care is really unique to general practice. So GPs really do enjoy that side of it, as well as the relationships that you build within practice. So your practice team, the team working, the the camaraderie between your your colleagues. It's the work environment that GPs don't want to leave that work environment in a precarious position where it's going to face more and more challenges. So I think we're really passionate about our work environments and those patient relationships.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I can, I can relate to that. I'm definitely um, Richard. When you told me about the um, survey of the 17 GPs in Tameside, I um, asked you initially, like, is this, is this all, is this a self-selected population of very happy GPs, or I think you had an answer for that.
3: <laughs> no, I, 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 I tracked them down um and and it was interesting that some of the gps that are most difficult to get hold of so that you would have thought being the least engaged were the ones that actually enjoying practice so much they were working quite hard so so no i, I wasn't self-selected at all
1: that was the bit i was just like mm, is, this, is this i can't believe it <laughs> but yeah, know it's lovely um any further examples of sort of success stories that you wanted to bring in at this time
3: my my, my local area tameside is part of a network that works with the great Manchester training hub the Great Mastery Training Hub is all about primary care training. And uh, we've just been told this morning that we hit every single one of our KPIs, which was great, KPI. and uh, key performance indicators mm-hmm. um, in terms of um, expanding training, education, recruitment. We've been had a program for the last two years of saying to practices, um, train just train, 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 train. That's the mantra. Just train, train, train. And and not just train for yourself, because a lot of practices do this idea where they, they train for themselves. I need a practice nurse, therefore I'll find one and train them up. But actually train for your area. So mm-hmm. if you've got space, take on a med student. If you've got space, take a GP trainee. If you've got space, take a paramedic. And um, and that's having an awful lot of benefits. we're getting for high quality staff liking working in our area, starting to network, and then moving from job to job until eventually they settle somewhere. I mean, okay, not everyone does that, but um, we're having quite a bit of success, people coming into the area, training in the area, and staying in the area. And particularly, um, the universities say, if you get a second-year trainee nurse, university nurse, in general practice, it really... Pricks their interest in primary care because they don't, often don't know about it. And if you if you manage to get them in the second year, then when they qualify after the year three, a lot of them start to look at primary primary care careers.
2: Oh,
1: okay, yeah, it's that exposure early on in training.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I think that's a really good point about growing your own within general practice. I know when we used our own practice as an example, we we were a practice of two full time partners, so all demand that comes through the practice is picked up by the two partners in practice. And there would be the odd learner, for example, like a medical student might be there as well. What we changed probably in the last two or three years is to move from two full-time partners to three part-time partners and really being able to kind of give ourselves space to do things outside of practice. Mm -hmm. And as three partners, as we've become a training environment, as we take more learners within practice, what it started to do as well as give us more capacity it's become a lot more enjoyable to train and to teach and to supervise learners through practice. And it allows us then as GPs to be a bit more focused on the complex care stuff. So the bits where patients really do need continuity of care, they do need to see the same person each time. We're allowed to do that with longer appointments because we've got additional learners within practice that can help pick up some of the other demand. So it's helped to balance things a bit better in practice. What it also does, is it helps us to to kind of think about our recruitment planning earlier. So if we know that somebody might be retiring or we know that we might want to increase our, our numbers of staff, we have a, a constant pool of learners coming through that we've trained, we've supported with a system in our practice. It becomes a lot easier, I think, for that recruitment and planning for the future in, for us.
1: Yeah.
3: I think what you just said there, Nikesh, brings a really important point to home for me. You and your team obviously have gone through the, the the idea of seeing yourself as a as a gp your role being primarily to for the patients but also primarily to train and educate as well and i think this is one of the fundamental changes i see in the primary care general practice workload is that um we need to start to redefine what our job is so so for example in hospitals there are almost twice as many junior doctors as consultants and the consultants in every single ward, every single department, every single operating theater are probably demonstrating and training people all the time. And in general practice, we haven't made that, we're not there yet, we're not making that move. Mm. And it's interesting that we, we say that one of the things we really enjoy in general practice is that continuity and getting to know people. We might have to give some of that up in order to allow our other specialists within primary care to do that job for us. And personally, as somebody who absolutely adores continuity, and my practice will tell you that people are often hammering on the door saying, I must see Dr. Bircher. Um, and I find that very difficult to give up, really mm-hmm. difficult to give up. Um, but I think it's really important. So so if you look, say, at the NHS long-term workforce plan, they're thinking of increasing the number of um, nursing associates by tenfold from about 4,500 to 64,000 in over 10 years, and also um, increased the number of um, physician associates. So I think there's about a 1,000 physician associates in the NHS at the moment. They want to take make that 10,000. So obviously, some of those are going to end up in primary care. So we're going to have to delegate that long-term follow-up to those people. And also their training isn't quite as intensive as being a GP. So so let's take an example, say someone coming in with them tired all the time. That's a really complicated consultation. It could be anything from mental health to social distress to underactive thyroid to a major heart disease. You just don't know. So we've got to be available to give support and mentorship to those people as well. And as, as they come through repeatedly, I think in primary care, we've got to do an awful lot of that continuously from the moment we start as GPs right to the point where we retire. And
2: that's, for me, that seems like a fundamental role we're gonna to have to accept.
1: Yeah, that's a big shift. Yeah. I think
2: it is. I think even when we kind of look from, from my role as a clinical director in my primary care network, we've had a lot of additional roles in general practice and, and quite a variety of roles that have entered general practice. And there has been a period of understanding and embedding them in, which has been quite challenging. But I think you're absolutely right that as GPs, we end up being that senior clinician within an organization, within a practice that needs to provide support and supervision for learners that we haven't necessarily supported in the past and how we embed them to help us to see patients, but making sure we get the right patients for them to see. Yeah. Them. And that's been a real learning experience over the last four years. And, and I think often we get it wrong in practice, but when we mm-hmm. do get it right, they do offer a lot of additional capacity. So I know for, for our network as an example, and we're quite a small primary care network, our additional roles offer around 400 additional appointments per week, split across eight practices. Again, I know when you look across a week, it's still not a huge number, but we're getting the patient seeing the right person at the right time in within their neighborhood. And that's been a real shift in, in culture to referring on to a service within a hospital to having these staff based within within your primary care network or within your neighbourhood. But that does, like Richard's been saying, is, is there is a shift in how we then behave as GPs to almost take a slight step back and have an organisational view to support all of those staff. So a lot of our clinics, a lot of my clinics will be spent supervising, supporting, debriefing learners. As opposed to seeing a, a large number of patients, um, and that has been been a shift in behaviour.
0: Yeah, I hadn't quite thought that there was a difference between the way that training and um, educational opportunities happen in primary care versus the hospital. But you're right; um, the junior doctors take on quite a large amount of the workload within the hospital. And that just doesn't happen in primary care. I feel like there's almost a, a wall up where it's like, oh, it's too complicated. It's too hard. The, you, you can't manage all these patients. It's, it's, it's very different from the work that you do in the hospital or something. So, yeah, I think a shift would need to happen with the thinking. I,
3: th- I think a really big challenge we have is how do we, we communicate this to the patients? Because they have had 70 years of the NHS with phoning up and booking in with their favourite GP and expecting that GP to be the font of all knowledge and if they'd have the knowledge to refer on to somebody else. But um, I mean, I I think every general practice in the country is feeling that at the moment because a a lot of us are moving towards total triage and that takes the the choice away from a patient. So we're on the patient ringing up and saying, I'd like to see so-and-so. We say, no, send us your details, tell us what it's all about and we'll make the decision for you who you see. But of course, the patients don't know that whole range of different professionals working for us and we are, actually streamlining their care from the moment they send a message in but they don't know that yet and and that's really difficult for them to handle Mm. and and my practice is certainly trying really hard to find ways to communicate that across the patients and since we we personally moved to total triage, we've we've seen probably an increase in grumblings and people not happy. And and this sentence, we hear a lot, oh, you can't get to see your own GP nowadays. I mean, there's a little bit of truth in that, isn't there? Because actually what we're doing is we're saying, you don't need to see me first about your knee. You come and see the MK, MSK practitioner. So you know, we, we are involved in their care, but not as they
2: are used to. Mm. Yeah. And I think it, it's almost describing a, a, a new model of care, which was in the NHS long-term plan as an ambition. We probably do need to work differently if we're going to manage a changing population with more health and care needs. Mm -hmm. And what we ended up doing, especially with the pandemic, is a real shift very, very quickly that we weren't necessarily prepared for, but it was a catalyst to do what we would have done in 10 years within one year of embedding digital platforms within practice, There's quite a bit of variability because we all had to do it really quickly. And even neighbouring practices would run those platforms very, very differently. But if they are embedded in a model that works, along with some change in your principles of how you work, they can significantly reduce the workloads and the demands. Because like Richard described really well, you're getting them to see the right person. And to balance that kind of change in continuity of not seeing Dr. So-and-so What it does do, it means your access is much, much faster. So because we have models where all demand might come through a single portal, and for patients that struggle, we we have methods to support that. You know your full demand for the day, as opposed to having some coming through a phone, some coming through online, some have been pre-booked from a few weeks ago. You've got your full demand for the day. And as experienced GPs or or qualified GPs, you can start to say, well, actually, that knee pain, like Richard was saying, could see the first contact practitioner. That medication problem could speak to the pharmacist. That cough, possible chest infection could be seen by one of the GP trainees in practice. And it really helps you to have a better way of triaging patients correctly. And when you do that and you bring in the fact that you remote consulting, you can work from anywhere if, you know, with virtual consultations, you actually manage your demand much more effectively. So we're not getting rid of demand. I think we're a lot more efficient in managing that with these new models of working with digital platforms, etc. And I think if people are interested in knowing a bit more about some practice examples of that, there will be some that are shared from a few practices across Greater Manchester on the Primary Care Provider Board website. So it's worth a a look on that on the Greater Manchester Primary Care Provider Board website for a few practice examples, because I know that each example may suit a particular practice better in a particular population group. But if you look across those examples, there's definitely some learning that could be taken away and shared if, if practices are interested in that.
0: And then, so we talked a lot about um, the bigger picture and bits there around um, kind of changing um, how general practice fundamentally um, works. But is there anything else that could be done um, now um, for practices out there um, with regards to the workforce and retention issues that they're facing?
3: So so my job in Tameside um, is doing a lot of those little things. And they do seem to make quite a bit of a difference. So so number one on the list I would put is support groups. So if your area doesn't have a support group for newly qualified GPs or doesn't have a support group for your healthcare assistants, then make one. Make one. There's something wonderful about getting a group of professionals together to talk about their problems. They feel supported. Um, It's wonderful to get access to education and training and updates Um, and, and people Love that they 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 come back and they stay in an area despite the difficulties they have because they feel supported, um, and I think practice managers is one of those really important forums as well. Really important. So forums definitely. Um, I absolutely love the idea of grow your own um, locally. So every single area where we, where we work in Manchester has um, unemployment levels um, which we don't want, and the NHS is offering lots of different jobs and and people don't know about primary care. So I've, I've been around local schools and colleges. I have a bit of a roadshow there. Um, I usually start lectures talking about the qualifications you need to become a doctor or a GP and watch these groups of teenagers' eyes glaze over and then go, you're bored, aren't you? Do you want to see some pictures? And then I literally just show them pictures of diagnoses and get them to diagnose it. And they're guessing and exciting and going, Ugh, isn't it horrible? Uh, horrible. And by the end of it, you've got people saying, oh, how do I become a GP? How do I become a nurse? How do <laughs> I become a HCA? So yeah, I, I love that sort of thing. But engaging engaging younger people is an absolute joy. And the other thing we've done locally is we worked with the DWP, Department of Work and Pensions, so so our local job centres. And they've put together a couple of courses that um, allow people to get know the fundamentals about primary care, including a little bit of training on some of our clinical systems. Um, so so then they, when they approach um, primary care or um, primary care networks, they, they can say, listen, I've done this course, I'm really interested in doing it, um, I know something about it, I know about confidentiality and note record keeping. Um, what jobs have you got for me, and that's been brilliant and you would have thought the 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 job center is full of people with um, them with, without um skills and qualifications, but completely opposite. these are people who are mid mid careers wanting a change in their careers, absolutely passionate about giving something back to their communities and make brilliant members of staff
1: that's fabulous I like your um your mantra grow your own retain grow. just train 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 train, 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 train. yeah That's imagine, even if you've more got important. a gap train yeah
3: <laughs> well it, 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 a good question that a lot of gps out there might be asking is what's the most important thing i can do right now so so um i think there's two things one is to um help members of staff gain qualifications in mentorship and supervision especially nurses that's definitely. So talk to your practice manager now about that. How do we get um, nurse supervisors or HCA supervisors within your practice? And the second one for me is um, b- become a GP trainer. Um, get involved in um, training new GPs yourself. Um, the NHS workforce plan again is going to pump loads of people through medical school and very large people numbers of those people that can become GPs. I think we need to double the number of training places we have um an overworked set of gps it's difficult to supervise one gp trainee but two is i think practically impossible so we just need loads and loads and loads of new gp train trainers so so get yourself on the basic trainers course as soon as possible please
2: yeah i, I definitely agree with that of if, if you can set yourselves up as a training environment and and you go through those courses so through health education england or nhs england and sign up for those courses whether it's to be a clinical supervisor or whether you want to be an educational supervisor which has a little bit more involvement with the portfolio and and around sign off uh, competencies it really is a change you can make straight away and i think the other bit i would put quite a lot of emphasis on is to as a practice just reflect on your current models of delivery of care and is there a way that that could change? And I think that for the practices that have made that change with how they deliver care, how they navigate care, how they triage patient requests, there's been a significant reduction in workloads and demand. And I think those being probably the two of the most common areas that people feel would make them leave general practice, this would be something that you could change over a period of months. And I think Richard described it really well, where any change can lead to a little bit of people feeling unsettled, patients maybe feeling less happy. But I know for us, after that being embedded for two years now, the overall satisfaction has jumped up massively. Um, and, And it's been now one of the highest across Greater Manchester, purely because patients are happy with the service they're receiving and have adapted to the fact that they might not see their favourite GP for a a more simple health condition, um, they might end up seeing somebody else. So I think those are probably two areas I definitely agree you could make a change with today.
0: Brilliant, thank you.
1: You've mentioned loads of different areas to focus on. Um, Would you mind just doing a bit of a summary of where to signpost people to? And we'll make sure all the links are included in the episode description as well.
2: Yeah, I I can maybe just mention a couple of national programs that might be helpful because one of the bits we do find when we talk about retention of GPs is it isn't GPs who are towards the later stages of their career that want to leave general practice. It's GPs at any stage of their career. So Mm -hmm. newly qualified GPs, mid-career and sort of later stage career GPs, they all show similar rates of leaving general practice. So a lot of the national programmes tend to pick that up of having programmes and schemes at various stages of training. So examples being you've got the GP Fellowship programme, which is for newly qualified GPs. And it's a two year programme where you get funded CPD time, you've got funded time to do things which support quality improvement at practice and at organisational level. And I think the bit that most GPs feedback, they really enjoy is the mentorship that they receive within that program. Mm -hmm. So I'd really encourage all newly qualified GPs to maybe think first about a GP fellowship as opposed to thinking about it second after taking an employment somewhere. So it's open to all newly qualified GPs who are in a substantive post. Mm -hmm. Um, So I know in Greater Manchester, we've pushed that quite a lot and we've got over 150 GP fellows currently on the program, which which has been a really success story in terms of keeping them in general practice.
1: Yeah, it's a great scheme. When you look at the the sort of timetables of different opportunities, it's it's brilliant. I'm quite jealous. Um, we did our Health Education England fellowship, which is a bit more kind of you kind of need to know where you're going to be and in a substantive post and sort of have an idea of something to add on but that was really really good as well Mm -hmm. yeah
2: and just building in that time of recognizing that for your development as a newly qualified gp you do need some paid time for personal development and to understand what your learning needs are and how you meet them so i think it's Protected headspace, which I think is so important in, in those first two years. Yeah. Um, f- for me, um,
3: it's drawing upon local resources. So um, organise your local area to have support groups um, for each of the specialties within primary care. Uh, liaise with your um, local job centre because the dividends are amazing. They're fantastic. And um, whatever your local area has for accrediting you as a learning environment, go for it. There's a, there's a lot of work done in a in Manchester to make one accredited learning environment for all specialties, um, which is still bringing in medical school training and general practice training into that. Mm-hmm. But one accreditation process that you can take all the different learners and you have a wonderful pick of people that can come and help you and see the wonder of working in primary care.
1: Brilliant.
2: And then just, I was gonna pick up GPs at a different stage in their career. So there are national schemes to support people who may have been outside of general practice for a period of time. So two or plus years outside of general practice. There is a return to practice scheme um, that provides a safe and supported direct route back into general practice for, um, for qualified GPs. So if you're thinking about coming back to general practice for after a period of time out, there is support in place for that. And it's also worth mentioning the National GP Retention Scheme, which has worked really well to help GPs. It will provide financial and educational support to help doctors who might otherwise have left general practice. So, if you are somebody who is planning to leave for retirement purposes um, because your involvement in other roles might need more flexibility in general practice, there is a system where through certain assessments that are done of the practice and the person applying. Um, There are financial support to the practice and to the individual to stay within general practice on a flexible basis providing clinical care. So a few examples, maybe a partner who wants to retire and leave the practice but might be happy to come back and do some clinical sessions. Mm. That experience of that partner coming back to deliver those clinical sessions is really valuable to the practice. And knowing that you can do that with support, I think, would help a lot of GP practices out there. So a lot of this information is on the NHS England website. So if people are interested in understanding more, just have a look at the website. And there's a lot more detail around each of those schemes.
3: Yeah, definitely come back to us. We need you. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs)
1: Um, so that's been a fantastic talk with loads of really interesting points. Um, if there's other things to mop up in terms of, because I know we've got reels of paper and you guys are incredibly passionate, so trying to fit this in a small time has been quite tricky. So I yeah. wanted to
3: mention, uh, just touch on one thing we haven't mentioned so far, yeah. about apprenticeship training. Okay. So um, the move nationally is to have 20% of the NHS workforce eventually training through apprenticeship and they are and they are introducing i think is this the first year apprenticeship doctor training um yeah it's either starting this year or next year which i think could be wickedly um difficult to do but also very rewarding Mm -hmm. no there are people out there with immense life experience who you know would make brilliant therapists of some sort yeah um who just can't get into um, professional careers because of having to go to university and take a long time out. Now it's possible to train up um, from admin to um, a healthcare assistant, to a nursing associate, to a nurse, to an advanced nurse practitioner, all through apprenticeship. Mm. And and I think that'll open the doors for so many people. So so if you're listening to this podcast and you know somebody who is having would really like to work and become a professional in the NHS but just can't do it because of time constraints and family commitments, apprenticeship is the route. And there's lots lots of opportunity out there for that.
1: Great.
2: It, it is a large topic to kind of cover and, and give all the information that we want to. So I think if I was going to summarise, there is a significant workforce challenge, and I don't think that will change in the coming years quickly. There is more doctors hopefully coming through medical school, more doctors choosing general practice, but it won't change some of the challenges that we see today. So what I would sort of fundamentally believe for GPs is to have a rethink about how we approach general practice as doctors, how we see our role as GPs within practice from, I think Richard described it really well of that that favourite GP that sees everything that comes through the door, to that almost senior clinician, almost like a consultant in a clinic that makes sure that the right care is given by the right person, but having overall supervision within there Mm. and growing your own to be able to do that. There's so much information to share. I think if we just gave two or three resources that I would encourage people to look at, the NHS England website has a really good document that helps you with a flowchart to understand what of the offers are right for you and which ones wouldn't be applicable to you. There is a great Manchester Primary Care Careers website that just gives a really nice one-page overview Um, and splits that support for GPs into various stages of your career, so your first five years, your later stages, your your mid-career. It's split by the localities across Greater Manchester, so it will give you specific programs that may be based in Wigan or Salford or Bolton. And it's worth just navigating through that to have a look and, and try and see what offers might be supportive to you or your practice. And I think the final bit would be around some of the training organisations. So the Greater Manchester Training Hub has some fantastic offers, not just for GPs in practice. They are smashing. um, But yeah,
3: They're they're an amazing organisation. They do so much.
2: For your wider workforce. And I think that their website, again, um, it does just help you navigate to the right place. So, again, keeping GPs in practice is, is absolutely helped by keeping the rest of your staff in practice. So through the Training Hub... Loads and loads of offers and that links to things like some of the apprenticeships as well that might support you in general practice.
3: And for me, I'd summarise at the more micro level is um, set up support groups for as many people as you can in primary care. Um, Make your practice a learning environment. If you fancy becoming a GP trainer, do it now because you are going to be in demand over the next five to 10 years for sure. And uh, ensure some key members of your staff have mentorship qualifications as well and the mantra just train 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 not for yourself but for the whole area where you work
1: brilliant thank you both so much
3: thank you, thank you. Thank, you.
1: Right. thank you so lisa now it's just us two and we're on our own after the episode um what are your learning points from what we just discussed
0: um i think yeah i was interested in the scene setting bit that they did at the beginning and um, quite a lot of the figures and information um was surprising even though you know that there's there's a workforce issue and that there's a gap in provision um a quarter of a million uh yes yeah, so there's going to be a quarter of a million shortfall um which was quite quite a large number and also the fact that um, i find it interesting that the number of gps hasn't actually changed over time mm. it's the full-time equivalence and the, the fact that people are, are doing more part-time work and um, which totally makes sense because of the workload and the um, stress and the pressures of the job more people are wanting to um, do less than full-time mm. um but that that is then um, having a knock-on effect into the, the provision um, of the workforce. And yet also the, the numbers of the fact that GP trainees are going up, so there's 9,000 rather than 5,000. Um, but the fact that in that long-term plan, um, they wanted to have, was it 4.5,000 to over 60,000 nursing associates? Oh yeah. I was like where are they going to get all those people? Yeah. And how are um, they going to get so, trained? Yeah. Yeah. That
1: one was a bit mad. I think they did really well to keep the focus on solutions for people who are working in general practice or who were in those roles of being able to kind of look at their practice and see what we can do. Um, so it was a pragmatic approach. There was quite a few points where I can imagine the audience might be thinking, Yes, but the workload is incredible. And like I had a lot of kind of Bits to feed back in, but actually they did answer, they did talk about the points, and it was so it was very proactive. There's other bits of the sort of systemic change that would be lovely to address, but it's
0: what we can do now. I think I thought that was a really good approach to it. You're right, I agree. There was a lot of um a lot of good points in there, and a lot of it focused around um around training, yeah, and and being more open to educating everybody. Um, and I really liked um Richard's uh what do you call it a roadshow. (laughs) <laughs> where he went around yeah. the skills, the schools to recruit people into primary care roles I thought that was great yeah train
1: train train i do really like it i think it's a really good a really good approach to and it's building your own workforce fostering all the ideals and things it is sad because in some ways because i'm sat there thinking i i want to be the one to provide all that continuity and it is it's that trade-off and sort of frustration that it's you can't have it all really you can't have a really long term resilient workforce scenario and have all the continuity of care necessarily. But yeah, it's it's just trying to find a balance and I think there's some really good stuff in here. So hopefully um people have found it
0: really useful yeah exactly Um, and um, if you want to get in touch with us tell us what you think about the episode Um, you can do so in all the usual ways and we'll put the links in the episode description as we said before and as we always say uh, please like, subscribe give us a review tell your friends it's lovely to hear from listeners about what you're thinking Um, thank you to everybody who already has got in touch with us and given us feedback um, or left a review because it really does help us to provide a direction to where the podcast is going so thank you till next time on Private Care Knowledge Boost This
1: podcast has been able to continue to date due to the support of GP Excellence, Wigan Borough CCG, Greater Manchester Training Hub and the GP Fellowship Programme, as well as Greater Manchester Health and Social Care Partnership.
0: Just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. They were
1: recorded in 2023. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. The content
0: is based on our interviewees opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast.